0: Where we are going to go, we, believe it or not, are going to finish up our series on the Holy Spirit this morning in the last five weeks. I don't know how many people I have had tell me over the last five weeks, thank you. Thank you, I've really appreciated this. Thank you, I've never heard this before. Thank you, this just brought more clarity to me about who He, the Holy Spirit, is and what He does in our lives. And believe you me, as much growth and much as you've appreciated, I have just as much, if not more. It, is, it has grown me um, and made me more sensitive and open to what the Holy Spirit is doing uh, in my life and in this church and around me. And it's no mistake this morning that we end our series on the Holy Spirit and in many ways, where we end up is exactly where we started in week number one. If you will remember, in week one, we talked about the Holy Spirit. And this is how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, 16, that he is our advocate, or we use the word helper. And that is no more important and it's no more vital than what we will be talking about this morning. I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm just going to tell you here's where we're going this morning to cap everything off in this. Put this phrase together and this idea that He, the Holy Spirit, lives in us and works through us to empower and equip us to speak and live gospel truth to those Around us. I know that's a lot there, so leave that up for just a minute. That's a lot of uses though, all right? But you see in this phrase here, exactly what we've been talking about the last few weeks of the cooperation between the Holy Spirit and ourselves. We don't do I know, it's it was yeah. Whew. That's the Holy Spirit come up right there. Uh, this cooperation between us and the Holy Spirit. That we don't do anything in and through our own power, we only do it by the Holy Spirit, but you better believe that God himself and his, through his spirit wants to cooperate with us. He lives in us, it works through us to empower that's a big word we're going to talk about today and equip certainly going to talk about that to speak and live gospel truth to those around us. And I know as I say that there are some that start to cringe and they're like, "Oh my land, he's going to talk about the e-word today, isn't he?" You know what the e-word is, right? The curse e- evangelism. You're like, dude, I'm not, don't give me another sermon on, I'm not equipped to do evangelism. You know you're right. On your your own, you are not equipped to do what God has called you to do in speaking gospel truth, but with the Holy Spirit, you have all the power you need at your disposal. And again, I'm going to make it very clear this morning, not to guilt anybody, but just to point us back to scripture, This is what Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 21, as he appears to the disciples after his resurrection, what does he say? Again, he said, I love that word there, again, this wasn't the first time he said this, again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, Jesus says, and he looks to all of his disciples in that room, and I believe he's saying the same thing to us as well. So I am sending you. Acts 1:8 we go over into the Acts of the Apostles actually better yet Acts should be the, probably the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Acts Acts chapter 1 verse 8 Jesus says to his apostles you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling I'm going to highlight a lot of these words this morning people about me everywhere In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now what I don't want to do this morning is I don't want to give you the impression that you need to be some super-duper talented evangelist, but I do want to give the clear impression that every one of us has been called to the mission of the church, to speak the good news, and to make disciples. Again, it's no mistake, right, in the great commission we have in Matthew 28 that Jesus said, that Jesus says to his disciples, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what? Teaching them all the things that I have commanded you. A whole lot in there about us being sent to speak gospel truth and to make disciples. It's very interesting if you look at the very beginning of the book of chapter 8, Acts 1-8, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, essentially is what he's saying, and everywhere, all of these places. And then we have this moment in the church, and again it's prefaced by in Acts chapter 7, you'll remember Stephen, a deacon in the church, a servant in the church, speaks truth and he tells gospel truth and he speaks it, and what happens to old Stephen when he speaks gospel truth? killed. And we come to the end of Acts chapter seven, and, and there were actually at the end of Acts chapter seven, we're introduced to a very important person in the book of Acts, aren't we? His name is who? Saul, who later becomes Paul. And then in Acts chapter eight, verse one, it says this, Saul was one of the witnesses to what happened to Stephen, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. How would you like to have that on your conscience, by the way, all of your life? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, I thought that was an okay thing. And then listen to what happens to the church and listen to what seems to be a very confusing, chaotic, scary time in the life of the church, but I believe it is God's divine plan for the church. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And again, I love how God divinely orchestrates the book of Acts. In Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. Go to the ends of the earth. And just because you couldn't get out of Jerusalem, I'm going to make you go to the ends of the earth through this thing we call Persecution. And it's almost as if God is kind of putting a formula in place in here and trying to teach us, if you do A, Acts 1.8, if you are my witnesses to the ends of the earth, you can expect at some level B, Acts chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and 3, persecution, to be scattered, to be harassed. You are, when you are sent to speak, guys, by and through the Spirit, you can expect a spiritual battle to take place that often manifests itself in physical confrontation sometimes and even aggression you should expect this it's built into the bible it's built into God's commission to us but I firmly believe this and I've said this before and I think it needs to be said again guys God often almost always I would say does his greatest work through the church when the heat gets turned up I think the heat is pretty hot right now in our culture. And it's time for the church to be the church. It's time for the church to stand up. It's time for the church to speak the truth in love, gospel, truth. Acts 1.8, you see, guys, is fulfilled and made reality by Acts 8.1, by God scattering the church all over the place. He has scattered us. It's no mistake that you live where you live and you see the people that you see and you do what you do on a daily basis. God is guiding all of that in his perfect plan. And what happens, guys, if we just keep our mouths shut? We foul up the plan, don't we? We foul it up Majorly. Guys, persecution brings the dissemination of believers, which will cause the expansion of the kingdom. And they are empowered and they are equipped to do so by none other than, you guessed it, the Holy Spirit himself speaking. In fact, I came across this quote here. It says, the Spirit of God is always speaking. He is never silent. Yet, see, yet he also sometimes breaks into our experience in unexpected ways. The precise nature of his breaking in, we can never script, we can never demand, we can never predict or even anticipate. The most that we can say is that his nature will never contradict, violate, or diminish the word that God has given to us. The writer of Hebrews would say that while God in the past, and especially in Old Testament times, spoke through various means and various ways, and He spoke through prophets, He speaks to us in the present moment primarily how? What does it say in Hebrews? Through His Son, Jesus, the Word. And the Spirit we talked about through all of this for the last five weeks, the Spirit's job is simply just to point to the works of Jesus, And to the witness of the word. That's all the Spirit ever tries to do. Just point back to that. God has already told you so many things, and He is just saying, I want you to be reminded. I want to point you to the truth constantly. Guys, God is always, always speaking undeniably, clearly, and reliably through this, right here. My question this morning as we open things is, do you, would you love to hear from the Spirit in your life? Open your Bible. That's simply what you must do. That's the the foundation and the cornerstone of what you must do to hear the Spirit. Now, Now you're sitting there thinking like, wow, I thought it was like a lot more mysterious and a lot more like supernatural and weird than that. No. Just open your Bible and that's where it starts to hear the Spirit. You will not hear the Spirit if you do not open your Bible. God's Spirit never operates independently of his word, but in the same way, if you seek to just simply, there are a lot of people that say, I just, this is this is good enough for me. I don't really need that spirit to do anything in my life. If you operate the word apart from the power of the spirit, not only will your spiritual life be very, very dull and boring. But you'll also miss out on the power of relationship with God. We talked about that, didn't we, very early in this. This isn't about tapping into some supernatural force, power, or experience. It's about having a relationship, a real living relationship with a living God. I think of it this way, guys. Being being led in the Spirit, listening for the Spirit, hearing the Spirit, being guided by the Spirit is kind of like steering a bicycle. It only works to steer a bicycle once you are actually moving. It doesn't do any good to sit there and try to steer a bicycle while you're just stationary. You have to get moving. Guys, the Spirit steers as you obey God's commands. It's very clear that's the way things work out. Do you want the Spirit to move in your life and speak in your life? Then start moving and start steering and be obedient to what God has called us to do. You start pedaling in obedience from the Word again. And he'll start directing. If you want to be led and empowered by the Spirit of God, then devote yourself to the Word of God. In fact, I would put it this way. You will not know the Spirit any more than you know the Word of God. And I would argue you won't know the Word any more than you know and are led by the Spirit of God. And here's what the Holy Spirit does not do. And if you ever hear somebody saying this, ignore them. The Spirit spoke a new word to me. The Holy Spirit does not speak new words. He simply speaks God's words. The word of God that's found in the scriptures. We, we saw that in week number one again. I just want to kind of remind you so we can get where we're going for today, that in John 14 and John 16, he says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. He is a revealer of truth. He is pointing to the truth. And so I hope understand as we get started for this morning that the the Spirit speaks, that's non-negotiable. Like, well, I don't know, Ryan. I really don't hear the Spirit speaking in my life. We'll get to that. But the Spirit is always speaking. He's speaking today. He didn't stop speaking back in the book of Acts. He speaks today. He moves today. But here lies the issue for most people and for most of us. How the spirit speaks is often more of a mystery, isn't it? Somebody said it this way a certain mystery encompasses the spirit's leadership. John chapter 3 uh, verse 8. Jesus says this. Remember, he's having this meeting with with Nicodemus, and he's talking with him, and he says about the Holy Spirit, the wind blows wherever it wants. He's making a a connection here between the wind and the Holy Spirit. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. I would add in there as well, he's trying to say, you want to try to figure out the Holy Spirit? Good luck. Zol, he is... He he cannot be contained. Experiencing the movement of the Spirit is, according to Jesus, just like the rushing of the wind. We don't know where it comes from and where it's going to. While the word that God gave to us is very and abundantly clear, eternal, and unchanging, the Spirit guides us in ways that are mysterious and often varied. You ever feel that in your life as you're trying to follow God and you're like, what in the world? I I, I can barely hold on here. It's a bit of, of a mystery, isn't it, sometimes, of how the Spirit speaks to us. Guys, for whatever reason, I cannot answer this question, but for whatever reason, the Scriptures never give us a clear, detailed description of the experience of being led into and spoken by the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of instances of it, but there's no one like pattern and formula. He always speaks in this way. It doesn't work like that. But where God has given us clarity is in his word. So throughout scripture, God leads his people both in the mystery of the spirit and in the clarity of his word. And as you read the book of Acts, and boy, I'm going to tell you guys, if you've never heard this story today that we're going to read in Acts 8, hold on. You get the sense, not just in Acts 8, but the entire book of Acts and the church being born in the book of Acts, that it is simply being blown about by this mighty rushing wind that we call the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows up approximately 59 times in the book of Acts. That's more than twice per chapter in the book of Acts. And in nearly 40 of those instances of Him showing up, He is doing what would you guess? Speaking, saying something. Oftentimes in many different ways. Guys, here's the way that I think about it. And again, this is not supernatural and mysterious and weird and funky. Here is what I think the Spirit does mostly in the book of Acts. Empowering speech is the primary thing that the Spirit does in Acts. He gives us the words to say at just the right time that we say them although the Spirit does speak to lead us into the truth from the Scriptures, He is primarily, and this is where we're going this morning, speaking to equip us to be sent into the world to speak God's truth. The Spirit sends us forth to speak and to serve. And this is where we turn our attention in the book of Acts. I want to read this story here. The whole first story and part of Acts chapter 8 tells about Philip, a man named Philip. And this is not the apostle Philip that we know. This is a deacon in the church of Jerusalem, Philip. He is a servant. He is what we would call a layman in the church. He goes to Samaria. We know about Samaria, right? We've heard that before. We don't, they don't like Samaritans. And Philip finds himself in Samaria and he's like, God, why did you put me here? Really? Of all places? But guess what happens in Samaria? A massive, massive spiritual awakening takes place in Samaria. People are coming to Jesus left and right. There is something going on in Samaria. And then we come into the story starting in verse 26. And it says, as for Philip... An angel of the Lord said to him, after he's in Samaria, I want you, Philip, to go south down the desert road. This sounds very familiar, doesn't it, right? It reminds me of when God first calls Abraham. He says, Abraham, I just want you to go. We don't get any indication that Abraham goes, oh, that's great, but where? He just goes. Same thing with Philip. Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia. A eunuch of great authority under the Candace. Now, Candace is not the person's name. Candace is like a title, like Caesar. It was like the queen mother of Ethiopia. In fact, she really held a lot of the power. Not the king so much, but the queen mother held the power. But this guy is a a treasurer, so he's a very, very important man in Ethiopia. The eunuch had just gone to Jerusalem to worship. That's a little interesting. And he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud the book, uh, from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now listen here. The Holy Spirit said... Now does it say how he said this to Philip? I don't know. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, "'Go over and walk along beside the carriage.' Philip ran over, and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, "'Do you understand what you are reading?' The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? By the way, if you ever have a moment in life where somebody says something like that to you, you better jump really quick at that. How can I? How can I understand what I'm reading? I'm lost in this. I'm confused in what's going on here unless somebody instructs and guides me. That's where all of us, all of our little spiritual intentions should go, bing, that's me. I don't have all the answers, but boy, I should know the word well enough that I can lead him in understanding what this says. And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. I heard someone say this week, now you understand, right? This wasn't like a chariot like we see like in the Roman Colosseum and there's one guy riding in it. This is probably um, a, a, a very ornate carriage. It wasn't even really a carriage that had wheels. It was being carried along by probably six or eight guys. And can you imagine this Ethiopian eunuch sitting in there and these guys are grunting? And by the way, it was about 1,100 miles from Jerusalem down to where they were going in Ethiopia. And he says, hey, Philip, why don't you come up here in the carriage with me? Do you imagine all six of those guys went, oh, jeez, are you serious? Like one more guy in here? I don't need to be carrying any more weight. But he does. He welcomes him up. Again, by the way, spiritual antenna being, I need somebody to guide me in understanding this. Oh, could you come up here in the character being? Yeah, I think God's calling me pretty clearly. You do not need a PhD to understand. Now guys, do things always work out this well and this clear and this this? No, they don't, but sometimes they do in life and we're like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you, I hope you can find somebody to lead you. Or could you come up in my, character, No, I'm really busy right now, I gotta go do something, right? No. Come up and sit with me. The passage of Scripture that this eunuch had been reading was, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? This is a really major part of Scripture. It's probably one of, if not the greatest messianic prophecy from the book of Isaiah that he's reading. Again, bing! Like, seriously, guys, spiritual antennas should be going off all over the place. Bells and whistles should be going off all over the place. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And they came to some water again. Like, this is another moment. You're like, this is way too easy. The uh, the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And so he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, listen to this, this is where it kind of gets crazy, and there's like some early teleportation going on here. I really don't understand what happens. The Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north in the town of Azotus, which is about 20 miles north of where they are in Gaza, he preached the good news there and in every town until he got all the way up the coast in the northern part of the territory there and came to Caesarea. I mean, guys, here's the main thing that I noticed right off the bat as I read this story and as I, we've read it this morning, is that being led in the Spirit and by the Spirit's voice often means that you're not given the full plan. Can I just be very, very clear about that? Because I hear so many people say, if God would just give me a burning bush, if God would just speak audibly to me, if God would just give me a really great detailed blueprint that had everything on it that I needed to know, it it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. God rarely, and I would be so bold as to say, I don't know if God has ever given in all of human history a detailed plan to anybody. Because you know what that eliminates? If God gives us a detailed plan... Faith. Just walk. Just go. We, we're, we're not often given a full plan. I mean, I mean, listen to it again, what it says here in Acts chapter 8. An angel of the Lord said to Philip. Could you imagine going and telling me, friends, an angel of the Lord told me, yeah, right, okay, right. Angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south down the desert road. And so he started out. And then a little bit later, it says the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over to that carriage there, to that chariot there. And Philip sees this chariot. And just, I want to play this out here. Can you imagine? Philip sees this chariot. And again, he's been in Samaria. He's been asked to walk 165 miles to the south to who knows where. He's hearing from an angel, the Lord, I believe that that actually was a dream or a vision that he had. Those aren't unusual in scripture. Then the Holy Spirit urges him and prompts him to go over to this chariot. And his heart is pounding. How many times have you felt God say to you, you really need to talk to that person? You really need to call that person? You really need to send a text to that person? You really need, and you're like, oh, jeez. This is way too much, God. I hear you talking, but no. His heart is pounding. Our hearts pound. But he's got to know, guys, that and we and we read this, and we have to know. We know, because we have better eyes to read this with here, after the fact. There are bigger things at play in this store, aren't there? Because the Holy Spirit is essentially telling Philip, go, 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 go. You got this. I got you. And it seems that all throughout this series of events, that Philip is just simply being carried along by the Spirit. Obedient to just simply, now listen, again, I don't want to oversell this. And when I say being listening to the Spirit and hearing the Spirit's voice, do you know what it often is? Obedient to just take the next step. And then the next step, this is where I feel like you're leading me, God. And if we're really, really listening, there are sometimes we step and he's like, no, 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 it's not where I asked you to step. Okay, going back. You're just listening. Next step, not knowing where you're going. That's what it looks like. And that's what's happening in this story with Philip. And by the way, I just want to pull out some other things here that are very, very unusual in this story unheard of in this story that lets you know that there are bigger things at play. Consider this, this Ethiopian eunuch. He is a Gentile convert in some way to Judaism. And what does he have in his possession? He has a scroll. It is the Isaiah scroll. That is a no-no. The scrolls do not go outside of the synagogue. They're only found in the synagogue because guess what? In that day, they didn't have the luxury of print. Photocopy. Here you go. They had them written on like papyrus or some sort of a material that was very rare and it was very time-consuming to copy all of that down. Why in the world does this guy? I mean, number one, I believe that he has a lot of money at his disposal. He pays somebody off and says, "I'll take that off your hand." But he, he he has this. Nobody privately owns a copy of scrolls unless they've got a lot of bank, a lot of coin. Beyond that, again, where we say he's a Gentile. Gentiles are never allowed to have a copy of Hebrew scriptures, convert or otherwise. But he just so happens to have one, doesn't he? He's reading his own copy of the Isaiah scroll and his heart is open. We talked about this in Bible study on Thursday night. I think we sometimes, as Christians, say stuff like this. Well, you know what? People won't listen to me. Nobody wants to listen to me. I think we don't give people credit enough. I think there are a lot of hearts right now, especially guys that are open to hear real truth. The truth of God, the truth of the gospel. And this guy's heart is open. He's teachable. This is a perfect setup. The right time, the right place, the right person, the right attitude. They all just came together in this moment. And then there's the person that God uses in this moment. Philip. Philip is is only known because he has this little story here in Acts chapter 8. He's introduced in Acts chapter 6 when the deacons are chosen, when the seven are chosen in the Jerusalem church. But other than that, he's a nobody. He's not an apostle. He's not a prophet. He's not a super important person. He is just an ordinary guy who happens to be in the right place at the right time to meet the right guy. How in the world does that happen? Guys, I believe it happens, and this is my assumption, and this is my thesis here, is that he is listening constantly to the Spirit speak. and he's remaining obedient to keep divine appointments. I want, I want you to hold on to that phrase right there, because that is a big feature of this entire story, a divine appointment that God is setting for Philip we'll come back and say this later, but I want to say this here right now. You have to realize that in every one of our lives, those who are in here, those who are watching at home, God is setting divine appointments for you daily. It's just sometimes we don't keep those appointments. It's like you kind of call like, I don't really feel like going to the dentist today. I don't really feel like God. What do you do? You get on the phone and say, I'm not going to be able to come. Can we reschedule for it? We do that with God all the time. God, I'm not really filling up to it today. Can I just reschedule to it? Philip, I get the impression Philip rarely did that. I'm going to keep this appointment that you have for me. Guys, guys there's some unlikely, and I want, I'm going to run through a few unlikely things in this story that God brings together to bring his plan to come. The first thing is and we talked about him is Philip. God uses a very unlikely spokesman, a very unlikely person in this story. And he uses him to bring the gospel to the first foreigner in the book of Acts. You do understand this. I said this again on Thursday about untrained people. He only, gets, get this, he only brings in the apostles for cleanup and support afterwards. He is just using constantly ordinary people. And so that's what we have here in Acts chapter 8. An ordinary guy in an extraordinary situation. Guys, you understand what Acts chapter 8 is, the story we just read. It is the church's first short-term mission trip. You, right here, you saw it. You see with your eyes, you read it. This is the very beginning of the gospel spread to the ends of the earth as Jesus again commands in Acts chapter 1, 8. Do you realize the rest of the book of Acts after this point here in Acts chapter 8 is the outline. It's the journey of the gospel going to the ends of the earth and how it gets there. And so we have an unlikely spokesman, an unlikely person that God is using in an extraordinary situation, but we also have a very unlikely place. Let's talk a little bit about Gaza. It's not the Gaza that we would know today in, in, in our modern times. It was further south in the territory of Israel. Philip is told to go down a road that leads to Gaza, but it's not just any road, is it? Specifically, he says it is a desert road. We are, we are in barren wasteland here at this point in the story, guys. You know, you, you know what we want to hear about Gaza? Gaza was a nasty, dirty a little town filled with Philistines we've heard about Philistines before haven't we those are not friendly people to the Jews this is way out of the comfort zone for an observant Jew it's a small podunk out of the way spot in the middle of the desert where it seemed that nothing miraculous or ministry related could ever possibly happen at the first part of Acts chapter eight, Philip is, before coming to Nowheresville, USA, he is part of an unprecedented revival and spiritual awakening in Samaria. And in the midst of all that is going on and people being one to Christ and he's preaching to crowds and people are being converted in droves, what does God, through the Holy Spirit say to him, "Philip, I want you to leave." What? Big crowds? Lots of people coming to Christ. Philip, I need you to walk 165 miles down to this nasty little town called Gaza because I've been preparing one person. You see this, right? It shows up in Jesus' ministry, doesn't it? You remember the, the story that he tells that I would be willing to leave the big crowds in the 99 to go get the one. Guys, you know you know this had to be confusing for Philip. God was using Philip in Samaria and Philip has to be saying, God, what are you doing? Why are you taking me on this path? Why are you taking me here of all places? But we never get that sense with Philip, do we? He just goes and goes and goes wherever God calls him to go to because he hears the Spirit speak. Guys, and this is instructive and I want you to really, really hear this. Soak this in. Internalize this. Put this deep within your heart. How God is speaking to you in your life and where he is leading you to in your life is often not about you at all. We so often treat it to be about us, right? Well, this isn't good enough for me i got bigger things that God wants to do with me. To go there, I'm not going to go there. To talk to that, I'm not going to talk to that person. That's a you problem. How God speaks to you, where he is sending you, is not about you at all. Guys, if any one of us in this moment put ourselves in Philip's place and we heard the call to leave a blessed, fruitful ministry, we would likely think it was the devil speaking, not the Lord. We might think, not now, God. the nope, things are going really well right here. Don't, know. Not, no, 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 not me. No, no, not me, God. Send somebody else, not me. No, no, not, not there, Lord. I'm not going there because I'm here right now. Things are going great. Everything's fine. And we might have thought that Philip would object to leaving great success in the work in Samaria to go out to a desolate desert of all places. But God had a plan, didn't he? get a plan in all of it and Philip to his credit and I think it's a great example for us he submitted to God's plan wherever God whatever God whatever you want me to do wherever you want me to go whoever it is I'm there James Boyce a commentator and preacher says it this way Philip was the front line man in God's work especially in Samaria in fact, he seemed utterly dis- indispensable in Samaria, yet it was at precisely the moment when everything was at its height that God called, Samaria, uh, that God called Philip to leave Samaria and leave the area. The so whole lot of unlikely things that I've talked a bit about here person, place, timing. We have a very unlikely convert, too, don't we? These are the moments when we say never. That person would never. Come to Jesus. Oh, never, ever say never, my friends. Philip wasn't the only one being led by the Spirit, was he? This man, this Ethiopian man was also, though he did not know it yet, he would come to know that God had a plan that he would bring. The word was enough to lead this guy to God, but he needed a guide to bring him home. Jesus, through the Spirit, draws people to the Father, but he wants to cooperate with each and every one of us to bring people into the kingdom. This eunuch, and it's clear to me as I read this story, something was missing in this eunuch's life. He was a convert. He was, he was interested. He was... He was Closest to God, but there was something that was empty inside of him that he was missing. He had gone to Jerusalem to try to find God, but he was returning home more confused than ever. He went to Jerusalem to find God, and he couldn't do it, so God found him on this road, this dirty, desolate road, and he sent a messenger to him. Let me ask this question as a real, actual question, it's not a rhetorical question. Think about it, ponder on it. Are you aware of where the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in your life? Could you you say, with all honesty, I do. I feel like I've heard the Spirit speaking lately in my life. When is the last time that you had a sense that He is sending you to a place or to a person or He's calling you to something, putting something or someone on your heart? Are we even listening? Maybe you listen to the story this morning in Acts chapter 8 and you think to yourself, Ryan, this is way too far-fetched. This is way too impossible. This is way too weird. You're thinking, why in the world doesn't God just speak to me like that? Why doesn't anything like that ever happen to me where it's just as simple as that? Maybe, guys, it's because you've never really put yourself out there. Maybe you've never really listened to the Spirit speaking, or you've stopped listening to God a long time ago. Guys, oftentimes the reason that you and I cannot hear, the reason that you and I are off mission of what God calls us to do, is because we are not listening to the Spirit. And I want you to listen to this. J.D. Greer says it this way. This is is really actually revolutionary. God never wanted us to do the Great Commission for him, but with him. You see, you don't have to go out there and be a rock star and to be a scholar and to have such charisma and awesomeness to you that everybody is flocking to you and drawn to you. That's for God just says, I just want you to do this With me, to cooperate with me, to be carried along and snatched away with me. Guys, God wrote involvement into the great commission, the greatest commission that we have, into his most basic call to follow him. And in that, God is sort of like what I would term a spiritual tornado. God seldom pulls us in and calls us to something without almost instantaneously hurling us back out and sending us somewhere. We're like, God, I'm cool if you just keep me like right in the eye of this thing and I just get caught up on all this warm, fuzzy stuff. No. God says, now, go. It's uncomfortable. It's trying. It's dangerous. But that's what God often does with us. And why in the world would we assume that God has ceased to guide us just like that today. Right now, where we are, where we are sitting, where I'm standing, like he led Philip all of those years ago. Because truth be told, guys, there are plenty of people in this world today and around us who need to be led to the truth of God by the guidance of the Spirit and a trusted friend right by their side. Plenty of people. So so what are are the takeaways really quick here that I see? I think there are two primary, to me, aha moments in this story in Acts chapter 8. The first one is this, that we need to yield daily. I would actually probably say that we need to yield every moment of every day to the Spirit's guidance in our life. Those walking in the Spirit and led by the Spirit are following God's lead in every moment of every day God's initiative in this story in Acts chapter 8 is unquestionable. Philip is visited by an angel of the Lord, assumedly, like I said, in a vision. He calls him to go to an unlikely place by an unlikely way at an inopportune time, an unlikely time during a massive spiritual awakening. Guys, God is still in the business today. I'm so convinced of this of leading and guiding his people by the Spirit, so we must always make the most of every opportunity that God gives to us. Do not squander opportunities. And I say this to myself, I'm, I'm, I'm angry with myself right now as I stand up here. Do you know how many opportunities I just squash all the time? It's sad and it's sickening. Guys, one of our greatest responsibilities in speaking the gospel is to simply do this. This is what you need to do before anything, is you just need to pray, God, would you give me an open door? That's it. Start there. Just start to pray that prayer. God, give me open eyes and an open door to walk through. Divine appointments. And then having prayed eventually for those open doors and you see doors start to open and your eyes become open to what God is doing, you keep alert for opportunities and possibilities God provides. And then guess what? You have to actually walk through that door. It does nothing to be like, well, that's interesting. That's a really neat open door there. Like, no, walk through it. Go to it, walk through it is what you need to do. That's eventually what needs to happen. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great British preacher of century. A century or two ago, says it this way. What we've been talking about this morning, he says, is a most extraordinary subject. And indeed, a very fascinating one. There is no question but that God's people can look for and expect leadings and guidance and indications and promptings of what they are meant to do. God's people have been told by the Holy Spirit to do something. They knew it was the Holy Spirit. We know it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us And it transpired throughout church history and in the scriptures that it was obviously God's leading. But can I say it this way? None of us in this room need to feel led to share the gospel. Guys, we have a license. We are card-carrying members of go do that. A mission, a mandate to do that from Jesus himself. You should be praying for and you should be seeking opportunities and remaining open to the Spirit's promptings. And when God speaks, we must speak and we must act. But here's the kicker of all of it. Again, I ask this question, how many of us are hearing the Spirit in our lives? The Spirit's voice, guys, is only as loud as your level of obedience. If you will not take another step, if you will not take the next little tiny step, you're going, to start, you're going to stop hearing the Spirit more and more in your life. His voice will become quieter and quieter in your life. Not only do we need to yield daily to the Spirit's leading and guidance, but we need to understand and we need to explain the good news to everyone that we come across This Ethiopian man needed more than a friend in his chariot. He needed an encounter with someone who could explain the truth of the gospel with the Spirit's help. Guys, to be a very faithful witness and speak good news into people's life, we need the Spirit that we've been talking about. We also need a very good grasp on the Word. Again, you don't need to be a Ph.D., scholar, super-duper awesome, smart person and know every last minutia of Scripture but you have to understand basic things about the Word of God. Guys, you need to understand that your personal time with Jesus and reading the Word, your devotional time and study of Scripture is evangelism training. Have you ever thought about that way before? Like I'm just reading to read. I'm reading because I love God's Word. That's good. Love God's Word, but see it. God is training me here as I read this. That's why it's so incredibly important to get the nose into this book to the words. John Stott comments on the double goodness of God in this passage. He says, the fact that God has given us two primary gifts, first the scriptures, and secondly, teachers to open up, explain, and expound, and apply those scriptures. It is wonderful to note God's providence in this Ethiopian man's life, first enabling him to obtain a copy of the Isaiah scroll, and then sending Philip to him. Guys, I want you, divine appointments await every one of us. You step out of these doors today, God already has an appointment for you. It's, it's just, are we going to be on the lookout? Are we going to keep that appointment? I want you to think of it this way. Just make it very simple here. You are where you are today. You are sitting in this room this morning because someone chose to keep a divine appointment and share the good news with you. Maybe it was even several different divine appointments across the lives of several faithful people in and around your life. But the fact remains that you are here and many of you are in Christ because someone kept a divine appointment and seized on the opportunity that was presented to them. Will we do any less? Should we do any less than that? But fear not. Again, some of you are like going into a panic attack right now. Like, oh, my land, why is he telling me to do this? I can't do this. I can't talk. I can't speak. I'm not good enough. I'm shy. I could never go out and save a lost world. You're right. You cannot go and do this on your own. God never. He never put the weight of world evangelism on any one of us. But collectively together through one conversation and then another conversation The kingdom begins to and continues to expand. He simply just calls us to follow and to obey where he leads. It's interesting. I love this scripture. If you turn over one more book to the uh, book of Romans. Romans chapter 9. Great, great chapter in Romans. I'm sorry, Romans 10 is where we're going to be. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 say this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. But he also says this, doesn't he, in verses 14 and 15. Listen. But how in the world can people call on Jesus to be saved unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone, what? What? Tells them. That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. It doesn't say there in verses 14 and 15, how can they hear unless we go, but how can they hear unless we are sent? Paul often emphasizes this, that God's sending is the real important thing, not necessarily our going we often get that backwards. No, the important thing is that God is sending us and for us to realize that and then to go. Because unless the Holy Spirit, guys, does the sending, our going does no good. See, that's a problem. A lot of us are going in a lot of the wrong directions. We're going somewhere, but we're getting nowhere. Guys, the Spirit of God is doing the same thing today that he was doing thousands of years ago and the same thing he would be doing Lord willing, thousands of years from now, he's just filling the mouths of ordinary believers and people to do extraordinary things in unlikely places, at unlikely times, in the lives of the most unexpected and unlikely people. And when that happens, guys, the possibilities are endless. I guess you could say that they are all the way to the ends of the earth. What's very interesting, last story here, and then we are done What's very interesting about this story in Acts 8 is that church history and tradition, and there's no way for me to prove this, no way for anybody to prove this, but there is very, very good evidence and tradition that says this eunuch here in Acts chapter 8 and his band of guys and servants who were carrying him the 1,100 miles went on to plant the first church in Africa. Isn't that really great? That's how it's supposed to work, guys. That's how, that's how a fire breaks out. That's how a revival breaks out. Before there are any other converts in the Book of Acts, Jerusalem or otherwise, we have a thriving gospel-centered church planted right in the heart of Africa. And wouldn't you know it? If you were to guess, and it's not a very hard guess, is one of them. How? Unlikely is that. Guys, I want to be very bold this morning as the worship team comes up here. It really is kind of silly to read Acts chapter 8 and we have this very massive call to not just come to God, but to be baptized into Christ in the story. There are, I believe, two calls in the story as there are many times. Very clearly, though, in Acts chapter 8, if you are here this morning and you are outside of Christ, you need to come in. You need to see, oh, there's a baptistry up here. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Why shouldn't I come to Christ and put my faith in Him and start to walk this crazy road that we call the Christian walk, the Christian faith, the Christian journey of life? And those who are in Christ this morning, we have a very, very massive call. But lucky for us, we have a very, very great power at our disposal. We are called at all times to go and to speak good news. I had a moment this week. I have to be very, very honest with you. It's difficult sometimes as a minister of a church, and you get locked into this church and in this little bubble right here. And you know who I see every single day of every single week? Two wonderful people, Levi and Brenda. And Levi and Brenda. And Brenda and Levi. They've listened to me speak enough, all right? I think to myself, who is it that God is calling me to go out to, or better yet, who has God brought into my life that I need to open my eyes and see this is a moment right here and right now for me to speak to them? And I've really struggled a lot of times with that, but this week, uh, for like the last couple of weeks, I've been having an issue with our heating and AC, and just randomly, we've got an acquaintance, uh, in there, Brenna and his daughter, our friends, and he does heating and AC work. And I said, man, could you come and take a look at this? Just to, before I go shelling out a bunch of money, tell me if it's something simple. And what I thought was just a simple little heating and AC moment for him to come over, you know what finally happened to me? I was like, oh. Maybe this was just the start of a moment where I could get close and now, what what do I do? Here's here's a simple as You know, I want to express my gratitude and thanks to you. So, could I take you out to lunch sometime, just just to get to know you better? Because I don't know you very well, and to say thanks for what you've done. Do you see how things begin to just leave? Now, guess what? I'm not going to play this game out and be like, you know what? I want him to Christ, and that's not always how it works, and that's not always how it happens. But what would happen if I do not, and I've not taken the opportunity yet, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to be preached, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I preach, I'm going to do this, to take the opportunity to do something as simple as to say, can we just sit down for lunch sometime, and let's just talk as two, two humans together. I want to know more about you, and I want you to get to know me, because you live just down the road, so I might as well just do that. daughters or friends. We might as well just do that. And what might happen if you just keep on taking opportunities? What God will do, again, the possibilities are endless. Would you pray with me this morning? We do ask that, that we would have our eyes open and our ears perked up and our spiritual antenna always in a direction toward being obedient to you and listening to where you're calling us and who you're calling us to. I pray specifically this morning as well, too, for those who might be here, those who might be watching at home, Lord, that are just not connected to you. They are not in Christ, and they need to make that first step. They need to make that step so that they can take the next step to speak gospel truth and news. And so I pray that if there's anybody, and only you do this, Lord, I'm not doing this right now to guilt anybody into doing anything, but Lord, if you're tugging on a heart this morning, if you're weighing heavy on a heart this morning that needs to make a decision for you that you would do that. You would do that. Not me, not anybody else in here. You would press on somebody. You would press on somebody this morning who need to come home, who need to come to the kingdom of God and begin to walk the path of obedience. Would you be with us in that, Lord, and have us understand that only by your empowering, only by your equipping can that actually happen. So Lord, we ask these things and we ask for your faithfulness. We ask that we would be faithful in all of that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.